Hey, everyone, if you're as passionate about transforming your life and reaching your peak performance as I am, I invite you to join my newsletter. Think of it as your weekly dose of inspiration and knowledge to supercharge your journey to becoming superhuman. Start optimizing mentally, physically, and spiritually today. Just head over to superhumanize.com slash newsletter and sign up. Trust me, your future self will thank you. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Hey, Superhumanized tribe, prepare to have your minds blown and your hearts touched in our latest episode. Ever met someone who completely defies these stereotypes? Meet John Lewis, six foot six, African American and built like a Division I basketball player, which he once was. But guess what? He hasn't had animal protein in over 15 years. That's right. He is the badass vegan, a term that flips the script on what you traditionally expect from someone fitting his description. John is not just a fitness expert with over two decades of experience in health and wellness. He is a social justice warrior on a mission to wake us up from the societal constructs that keep us fat, sick, and lethargic. Learn how a conventional American diet is not just killing us, but is a silent weapon against communities of color. In an era where heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and high blood pressure are taking lives faster than any gun, John offers not just hope, but actionable advice. This episode goes far beyond diet plans and exercise routines. We dive deep into food justice, institutional racism, and how corrupt systems are affecting our health. John Lewis, who is currently directing his first feature-length documentary, Hungry for Justice, deciphers the intricate relationships between food, disease, race, poverty, and government corruption. He has teamed up with the creators of the award-winning documentary, What the Health?, to reveal a story of collusion that keeps millions of Americans sick for the sake of billions of dollars. We'll also talk about John's groundbreaking book, Badass Vegan, Fuel Your Body, F the System, and Live Your Life Right, which offers a step-by-step guide to transform not just your body, but your entire life and have a great time doing it. It's more than a lifestyle plan. It's a revolution. And if you're looking for a wake-up call that's as compassionate as it is compelling, tune in now and get ready to superhumanize your life the badass vegan way. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. John, welcome to the Superhumanized Podcast. It's so wonderful to connect with a fellow vegan. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And there's one question that's really been burning on my heart, and that is I would like to hear what is your take on what the essence is of a true badass? 
Oh, man. I believe the essence of a true badass is somebody that follows their heart and not the crowd. I, I think that's the true essence of a badass is somebody that doesn't worry about what people say. It's funny. I'm always coming up with different slogans for shirts. This one is kindness is free, but hey, will cost you. And I, I came with one this week, this weekend, actually. And it was too many people are worried about being liked, but they're not worried about being loved. Mm. It's, it's like everybody wants to be liked by everybody, but they're not worried about who actually loves you and where is the love coming from. And I think if we concern ourselves with more about love, and it all starts with self-love too, the more self-love you have, the less bull crap <laughs> that you'll allow around you and in your life. And I believe that if more people incorporate that in their life, then it, every everything would just fall into place. 100%. And it very much resonates with me what you just said about self-love. Everything starts with self-love. And from that, you attract more and more love into your life. And I personally found that, for example, extending the self-love to myself also in a way uh, with regards to nutrition has made, had a huge impact. The self-love, the self-nurturing, the self-respect concerning yes. what I fuel my body and thus also my mind and my spirit with has changed everything. And this all is in retrospect, looking back, what all happened after I made the switch to a plant-based diet. And what was, you talk about it in your book. So I would like to mm -hmm. and you explain it also, but for those in our audience who are not familiar with you yet, what was your why to become vegan? My why started off with health reasons. My mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I remember asking the doctors, how did this happen? What's going on? And he, he told me just straight out, he said, too much animal protein, fried fatty foods. And I looked at him like, this, this isn't hereditary. And he's like, oh, this is a lifestyle choice. And I didn't go vegan immediately, but the more and more research I did, I just kept seeing it. You know, it came down to not just the cancers, but now like the hypertension, the heart disease, the so many things on that list. And I was like, wait a minute, from where I grew up, it was just like, oh, these things are going to happen to you regardless. This is what's going to happen. And then I started looking and seeing, oh, this is actually preventable. Now, I'm not saying it's 100% preventable, but you, your risk is lowered by taking a certain path. Like I said, I didn't do it immediately, but after contemplating for a while, I'm like, well, why would I go down the same path as all these members of my family and all these members of my community and my neighborhood and whatever the case may be. So that's when I decided to make a change. It wasn't to start a company. It wasn't to start a movement. It wasn't anything like that. I just, it was selfish. And then like they say, once you, once the rabbit hole is open and once you go in, it just gets deeper and you learn more and more about it. Absolutely. And you just shared that your mom, she had colon cancer. So obviously very sad and devastating for not only the individual, also the loved ones like yourself, you yourself sure. also afflicted with quite some health issues when you were younger before you switched the way you eat. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I suffered from childhood obesity. I was 315 pounds as a freshman in high school and I'm 6'6 now, but I definitely wasn't 6'6 then. I was about 5'8", I would say. And I, I suffered from like IBS once I, like right before I went vegan, that was like another thing that I paid attention to was that my stomach issues were just really bothering me, which I don't have anymore. So it's just so amazing that, and I'm not saying 
vegan is the end all be all of everything. But man, it helps so many things. It's just, it's hard to deny the power of it. And not only does it help to heal so many things, it helps prevent so many things. Like no doctor, no sane doctor. There's some out there that recommend all meat, no vegetables. And they just found out that the one guy was lying, that he was taking steroids, but he claimed that he was just eating meat and he just got ripped up. And yeah, I won't even say his name. We know his name. I I won't even give him any clout. But yeah, no doctor in a sane mind would say you don't need vegetables at all. You know what I'm saying? But any doctor, yeah, any doctor that knows what's going on will definitely be like, hey, maybe this vegan or vegetarian way of life is for you. But no sane doctor would tell you just meat and dairy is the way to go. 100%. We, and, and there's some amazing doctors like uh, Dr. Joel Tan, who you may know, America's yes. Healthy Heart Doc. He also was a guest on this podcast, Sprouts, Not Stents. And there's so many things, as you just shared, the things that can happen within families or communities it's it's not genetics it's the shared lifestyle it's the shared dishes so when people say oh this and that just runs in the family guess what it's because of certain eating habits run in your family now we know that genetics actually only predetermines very small amount of diseases it's um ap- actually epigenetics everything that influences certain genes to switch on or off whether it's diet whether it's the pollution we're exposed to or not even our social environment our emotional environment which actually gives us control a lot of control back about how we're actually going to fare in this life and not just surviving but being able to thrive and that's true Mm-hmm. And you're someone, you've spent, I think, over two decades in the health and fitness industry. You played Division One college basketball, you're a fitness expert, and now also vegan advocate. Can you talk about the relationship between um, sports and nutrition and also how your own transition to a plant-based diet impacted your athletic performance and overall health? Yeah, my, my transition actually... I. Unlike how a lot of people want to hear it, it was actually quite simple. It was very easy. I didn't have the withdrawals that people talk about. But one of the best things that happened to me was when I did it, I didn't really have social media. So I didn't have anybody to hate on the decision. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why people backtrack is the peer pressure. Somebody say you go to this event, your uncle, your aunt, your cousins, your brothers, your sisters, they're like, you need meat. Look at you. You look skinny and whatever it is. But there's so many things. Meanwhile, the person that's telling you is probably overweight, obese, has a ton of health issues, but they're telling you right now that you need to change because you look different. Not that you look bad, you look different. Of course you look different because your your process of life is different now. You're eating better, you're moving your body, so it's going to be different. So my my transition was quite easy because I, I didn't have anyone to really shut it down or talk bad about it. And also I did it just, I didn't overcomplicate it. I was just like, I'm going vegan. Okay. Like I didn't look at, oh, it's gotta be this amount of protein, this amount of fat. I just had fun. And I talk about that in the book. I say the first 30 days needs to be fun. And you gotta treat it like a relationship because everything we do in life is relationships. Your relationship with your food is like any other relationship. When you get in a relationship and you and that person first meet, you are just having the best time of your life for that first 30 days. You are going on trips, you're going to the movies, you're trying new things. 
Same thing with your food. When you go vegan, we really only eat five animals. If you think about it, there's over 70,000 edible plants on the earth. Go for it. You might find some things you don't like, but that's good. And you know now what you like and what you don't like. And after that 30 days, then you can look at it and go, you know what? I want to lose weight. I want to gain weight or I want to maintain what I've already been doing. And you can adjust what you like to that. It doesn't have to be only kale salads and only celery juice and only lemon water. You can literally have fun with this process. So that was for me. And, and athletically, I just felt so much better. And I just never knew that I could do this. I, I talk about this in the book, too. It was one day I was playing basketball. We were just at a court out in Fort Lauderdale and uh, I went to dunk the ball. And I literally felt the energy from my foot to the ball go in. And I just, and I'm on the court. I can't tell anybody on the court because I'll just sound crazy because they're like, what are you talking about? You felt energy from your toe to the ball going in. But I had a very good friend who had been vegan for years already. And she told me that I would notice the difference in my body when I do this. So I immediately texted her afterwards. I'm like, you will not believe this. Like, you were right. Like, I, I explained the whole energy from my toe to the ball going in. She's like, I told you. She's like, this is just the beginning. And I haven't had a lot of those experiences, but I have had noticeable experiences where I'm like, oh, I can feel the difference in my body and my energy. And I, I'm 46 now. I just ran a half marathon in uh, Jamaica in December, and it was my fastest time out of all the marathons I've done. And I, I took 10 years off. I stopped because when I was younger, I just ran it to run. And I didn't worry about how I was running, if knees were being pounded, if I was stepping too hard, if I was standing upright or where my my mind was. And this time it was just, don't get me wrong, the fact it was in Jamaica probably helped out a lot, but it was definitely the best of all of them that I've done. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. That's awesome. I feel the same way. A lot of things just from... There are certain things I was used to, illnesses like you shared about the IBS. For me, it was constant, was anything from psoriasis to acne to even mood swings and all of that just changed with the diet changes. And I constantly get asked by people as well, what do I do for skin or hair? I love to share with them, especially the plant-based diet, the superfoods, because I know the things that are superficial they actually lead to an all over well-being of the body. Once they implement these changes, they may be looking for, hey, I want to be better athlete or, hey, I would like clearer skin. But it's your entire system is going to change the entire way how you see yourself in the context of this world. And by the way, I want to share something that I read in your book. We spoke about it before I hit record. So we both are blood type O negative. And if you follow the blood type diet, then you and I should be meat eating machines in order to thrive and perform our best. Look at us. We're not up in a fetal position in a corner shivering somewhere. We're doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I've heard that so many times. Like you need to check out this book about the blood type diet. I'm like, I've read it already. And I, I, I do believe this. This is for anyone out there. I believe you should read all material as much as material as you can, because you may learn something. It may not be the the avenue you want to go down, but you might actually learn something. Like I say with religion, too. Hey, if you're one religion, you should still read all the books to learn more about everything that's going on. I think the same thing goes for lifestyle. Like I'm vegan, but I read all the other books, too, to see 
what their mind is thinking as well. And when I saw the whole blood type thing, I was like, yeah, I've been doing this almost 20 years and I'm still okay. Like I'm back. My, I get my blood work done every year. Everything's fine. I've never had an issue. Unfortunately, some people just do things to make money again or telling everybody just to eat meat or telling everybody your blood type is what determines how you eat or so many things like that. Mm-hmm. Indeed. What I really like about your book, and I like the title, the full title is Badass Vegan, Fuel Your Body, Fuck the System and Live Your Life. That So you talk about health, you talk about how to actually be able to make that change, going from being an omnivore to vegan. What I really love about it is that you tackle the common stereotypes and misconceptions, and you also talk about the system that keeps us, many of us, so sick and just barely surviving. In addition to being a vegan advocate, you're also a social justice activist. And I'd like to know from you how you see the connections between animal rights and human rights and how you think veganism can contribute to a more uh, just and equitable society. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I was just uh, in Toronto yesterday, actually speaking, and um, I was telling them because you always get doubt. People are like, oh, the system's not out to harm us. The system doesn't want us to to die. If you really think about it, the people in the system may not be wanting for us to die or get sick, but the system itself that was set in place was designed to work the way it's working. And the problem is the people that are in the system aren't trying to change it. So it's going to continue to grow and get bigger and bigger. If you have a problem, or let's say you have dust in the house, If you keep sweeping it under the rug, eventually that rug is going to create a mound and you're going to trip over that rug eventually. And that's basically what's happening is that people just think if we ignore it and just sweep it under the rug, then it'll just go away. And that's just not how it works. Um, One prime example that I like to use is that I always tell people I'm not a mathematician, but if you just put these numbers in your head, the pharmaceutical company itself is a trillion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. So if you take a trillion dollars, If 10% of the people that were taking certain medications that could be reversed by lifestyle changes, if 10% of those people did that, the whole industry would implode. It would cave in on itself. Of course, again, these people, they don't think, oh, we want these people to die. But at the same time, they don't want us to get healthy either because that means everything that they've built would be destroyed. And it goes down the food system and it goes down the housing system. There's so many different things that are so connected. And sometimes I get vegans that think, oh, social justice is not connected to veganism either. And again, I say the fact that you can stand outside of a slaughterhouse and nothing happens, you don't get arrested is because somebody stood up for your civil rights to be able to do that as well. So it's all connected, but we just don't think about it. In the documentary that I finished, they're trying to kill us. We talked to a hog farmer, and what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of these slaughterhouses, hog farms, cattle farms, whatever it may be, they're usually in impoverished cities or neighborhoods. What happens is this one hog farm, they basically had three lagoons on the hog farm, and one lagoon had over 250,000 gallons of hog waste. He's got three of these things. So nobody's buying hog waste, right? 
So what do they do with it? They create these things called spray fields. So they spray this hog waste over the fields. Now, a lot of people think, oh, they're just trying to use it as manure. No, there's no crops on these fields. They're not growing any food with these fields. They just are getting rid of this waste. So the problem is when the wind blows and it, it goes into the river, it goes into the air, it ends up in these in the community's houses and homes and they're breathing this. For instance, there was a, a study done by John Hopkins that we used in the movie. And basically they swabbed the walls, the kitchens, the toys, pierced the whole house. And they all came back with hog feces in it. So imagine these people are living there. They're eating it. They're breathing it. They're drinking it. And one thing about humans, as much as we think we are carnivores or omnivores and carnivores can ingest feces from the animals that they're eating. We cannot. We cannot. It's just it's a scientific fact. So I like to shut down people when they come with the we're omnivores and this and that. No, an omnivore or carnivore is going to eat the whole body, including the colon and including all the other things. We as humans cannot digest feces, whether it be human feces or feces from another animal. And it's been proven because of all the sickness that's in these communities that is happening when they have this around. It's just, it's so connected. And it's, it, again, another rabbit hole. We can just keep going. We can talk an hour about that alone, but it's just so connected in so many ways. And it makes total sense. I've never even heard about this before that, yeah, obviously we human beings, we don't consume an entire body, an entire corpse, including the pole. We don't, we get sick when we do and and the unfortunate thing is the example that you cited of course where these things happen the kind of communities that are close to these animal factories these hog farms for example with these horrible lagoons that the rest of the population maybe hears about when there's a hurricane or flooding going on and then it goes into the rivers it goes into the groundwater anyways but the communities that live close to these places and that get sick and there's enormous exploding rates of cancers and asthma yeah. and all kinds of ailments. These are communities who don't have economic advantages. So it hits the poorest, the worst. Right. And they can't speak up for themselves. That's the bad part. And they can. It's just their voice is unheard when it comes to litigations and regulations and all, all these different things. And it, it just, again, I know a lot of people that don't have to live through this, don't think that this is actual case. But if you think about the one case I just told you, which is in North Carolina, now imagine there's over 30,000 of these going around the United States. Imagine what's happening to all these communities around. It's just crazy to even think about. It is crazy. And if you're someone, and as you said before, everything is connected. So if I care about, uh, obviously, animal welfare, then I will choose a vegan or maybe mainly plant-based diet. If I care about my personal health or my community's health, I'll also look into eating less or no animal products. If I believe in social justice, then I will care about how my food gets grown, produced, and how it impacts the communities around it, whether it's the communities you just mentioned that are in the vicinity, unfortunately, of these awful animal factories, or whether it's communities at the other end of the world that have lost their way of life and that basically have been 
bulldozed over by farming of these monocrops, whatever it is, whether it's soy in order to feed animals so someone gets a steak on their plate at another place in the world and killing off biodiversity and whole ecosystems. So if you care about any of these things, then you realize all of this is connected. And even if you don't care about these things, but you care about living in a functioning country. So you don't really care about other people, but you want to live in an economy that functions, country that's thriving. Guess what? If tons and tons of people are sick, whether because they are living in communities that are too close to these horrific factories, or whether it's just folks who get sick because of the what they're eating, what they've learned to eat, the impact on the economy on whether a country is able to thrive yeah. and also to protect itself. It's all linked. Yeah. And it's funny, just to touch base on a couple of things you just mentioned. One, you talk about the monocrops and a lot of people say, if you're vegan, hundreds and thousands of mice and or are killed. Or I'm like, the thing is, we're working to get there. Veganism is not perfect. We've never said it's perfect. It's to lower the amount of death and impact that we have. So if we can get rid of the number one contributor of these mice dying, which is feeding them by all these crops, which people don't understand that 70% of all the soy that is grown, it's not going to vegans. Sorry, uh, your, your edamame that you eat when you go to the restaurant, that's soy, but they think it's all vegans. I just saw another post that said, talked about, <laughs> it was a whack job page, but I, I still looked at it. But it basically talked about how how obesity had been risen since the start of veganism. I'm like, okay, sure. I was like, he missed a major point is that it basically was another page that's promoting all meat, all meat diet. But I was like, you're missing a major point because if 60% of the American population is overweight, 30% of the population is obese, only 5% of the population is vegan. Something's not adding up. It's not the vegans that are making obesity and overweight rise. So that's not the case. But again, it's a lot of people to do things for clickbait and trying to get attention. And back to the story about if we get rid of the animal agriculture that we use to basically kill these animals for feeding another animal, which we are animals, people forget humans are animals as well. So you're wasting this to feed us when we don't even need it in the first place because it contributes down the line to sickness. And then now another factor that goes along with that is that America consumes more pharmaceuticals than any other country in the world. But what really gets people when I tell them this is that the funniest part about it is that humans are not the number one uh, consumer of pharmaceuticals in America. It's the animals that we eat when we feed on them because they're in such close uh, proximity with each other. They're living in cesspools. They're living in worse conditions than a third world country. And then they're getting these diseases. So they're consuming over 50% of the pharmaceuticals that are consumed in this country. And so when people, and I'm not anti-vax, I'm not pro-vax, I believe in do you, whatever you want to do. But the people that are so adamant about being anti-vax, I'm like, you understand by eating this meat, you're actually consuming all the pharmaceuticals that these animals ingest. If you're anti-soy, you're ingesting all the soy that these animals ingest. 
it goes down the line. And so it's you can't believe in the power of getting the nutrients from the meat that you eat and still negate the sickness that meat gets too. People do that a lot. They're like, oh, I eat the meat because of the nutrients. So if you think you're getting what the animal has, why wouldn't you get the sickness that they have too? And they don't think about that. It's all related. It is. And I'm, we are seeing the rise in antibiotic resistant bugs. It's a scourge. It's a, it's a huge problem. And that's also directly related to the overconsumption of antibiotics, not just the ones that we might get prescribed and overprescribed by the medical community, but by the antibiotics that we ingest if we consume animal products. And it's, this is what everything is connected. This is why what you say rings so true that vegan lifestyle is not just a personal choice. It's also a political act. And you say that being healthy is a right. And you mentioned your documentary. You actually, in your documentary, I think you also offer solutions and, and in your book um, for a better life, um, for a better world. Can you share yes. some of these solutions with us? Yeah, of course. I know it, uh, it, it of course, it's going to sound like, oh, it's vegan, of course. But yes, it is. It really is the lifestyle of veganism. But it also goes beyond just what we eat. It also goes into the fashion that we wear. It goes into the, the upholstery on our couches, the upholstery on our chairs. Like People don't even understand the toxic dyes that are put into these leather couches. Like No cow is born a burgundy red. So when you get that burgundy couch that you want to match your, your living room set, all these things add up. And the torture that we put th these animals through, it also comes down to that. So what do you, again, like what you said, whether you want to do it for the earth, the human rights, the animal rights, the ecosystem, it is all tied back to this one thing. One, one factor we talk about in the documentary is that there are people that are locked up for misdemeanors, not even violent crimes, but they get hit with a situation where they have to work in slaughterhouses and they don't have a choice to say no or yes. So imagine how traumatizing that is. You go in for taxes or something like that, but now you're literally cutting the heads off of animals hearing them scream, seeing the blood, you're in cold, wet temperatures. So you're getting sick, you're getting bronchitis, you're getting all these different things that can happen to you. And all you did was go into nonviolent crimes. So for people that some people think that everybody in jail is guilty. And sometimes that's the truth. There are people that are guilty, but there are people that are in there for things that are so minor, but they're living. And imagine the PTSD that you're going to have when you leave that jail from doing two years of literally dismembering bodies, not bodies that lay down and say, you know what, it's my time to go ahead and cut me up. No, these are bodies that are fighting for their lives. So that's traumatizing for somebody. And so that's one aspect. Then you have the ecosystem. One, one aspect we look at is also most of the waste that's in impoverished neighborhoods and communities, that's not even their waste. It's trickled down from Beverly Hills or these higher up neighborhoods. You won't see a you won't see a landfill around Beverly Hills. And I'm only using Beverly Hills because in people's minds, you hear Beverly Hills and you think, oh, OK, that's a nice neighborhood. You won't see a gun shop. You won't see a, a check cashing store. 
You won't see, what was the other thing? Check cashing and all these different things. You won't see a McDonald's in Beverly Hills. But if you go right outside of that, then you'll see what is happening to these communities outside. You won't see a liquor store in Beverly Hills because they know that these communities are too good for that. But it's all connected. Like when you go buy that that liquor from what you think is a better neighborhood, it's still going to the same bank account. It's still contributing to harming the neighborhood that doesn't have all the amenities and all the necessities that it needs to thrive and flourish. So it's so many things that are connected. And as we look at the bigger picture, at the end of the day, veganism just helps all of that. I know people think it's like this big cult and <laughs> they're, everyone's angry. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some people that are angry. I used to be one of them. It happens. You go vegan and you discover all these bad things. You just want everybody to change. But I do understand that it just leads to better things. Again, like the mice and the other animals that are harmed when making these crops. Again, if we cut down the meat consumption, we can work on ways where we're not consuming so much agriculture for these animals. And now we can feed the humans. I saw a stat the other day that said we feed over eight, wait, 800 million animals, but we can't feed 8 million humans. If you think about that, just think about that. We're feeding those animals. We're not feeding them meat. We're feeding them vegetables. So why wouldn't we just give that to the humans? We could solve world hunger right there. Yeah, no child is hungry in America. Exactly. In other countries as well. And you yourself, John, you come from a community, I think it's Ferguson in Missouri, right? Yes, Ferguson, Missouri. Yes. And you've talked about in your book how you grew up. And so I'm curious, how do you see for communities that might not be as exposed? Let's say you mentioned Beverly Hills or I live in Los Angeles. There's certain cities where you have many more options on how to live, how to eat. Veganism is certainly a huge thing here. So what is a way to bring this into the communities that actually also, if you look at the health statistics, you know, whether it's cancer or diabetes or such, and due to the kind of food deserts that are often prevalent and no access to really good, wholesome food uh, or education about food, how do you bring it into these communities? I think the, the biggest part is that with any problem, with any social problem, whether it's racism, whether it's hate against any kind of society, I think that the 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 more privileged side of this equation has to be the one to do the most movement. So, for instance, people don't realize that back in a, a couple of years ago, they used to always ask you what your zip code was when you went to a store. It wasn't because they wanted to know where you really live. They wanted to know where the money was coming from. That was their way to monitor where does this money come from? Are you coming from this neighborhood? Or are you coming from two neighborhoods over? So the same thing goes for these impoverished neighborhoods. I know it doesn't sound ideal, but if you shop in these neighborhoods and all you shop for is fruits and vegetables, you're helping out that neighborhood because they're seeing the demand grow for those fruits and vegetables. Because the more we look at it, there's no such thing as a food desert. It's nutrition deserts. There's food in all of these places or considered food. Technically, some of it's not food, but there's food like substances there. It's the nutrition that's not there. So if somebody goes into those neighborhoods 
and they demand those types of foods that would progress that neighborhood. Stores don't care about your lifestyle. They care about the money. That's all they care about. As long as the money's coming in, they will turn a whole store vegan if they find out they're going to make the same amount of money or more. They don't care about your lifestyle. They don't care if you're vegan. They don't care if you're keto. They don't care what you are. They're about making money. And so that's what happens in a capitalist society. Money rules. So if you really want to help, go to these neighborhoods. I'm not saying you got to spend the whole day there. Go there, get your groceries, but buy the vegan items. Make sure that they have to keep supplying that because now they're like, oh man, they're buying this. I'm going to supply and demand. They're going to keep it coming back. And also, we also got to get out of the narrative that veganism is expensive. Vegan products are expensive. Vegan itself is not expensive. Vegan products are expensive. The Just like anything else, if you build your own house, it's going to be cheaper if you do it. But if you have somebody else build it, you're going to pay them to do it. It's the same thing with your food. If you're paying somebody to make the food for you before you have it, you're going to pay more for it. But if you take the time, and it doesn't have to be four course Michelin star dinners every time you eat at home. You can eat. I just made a post right before our podcast now that said uh, rice and beans are cheaper than McDonald's. Let's argue. And it really They're is. <laughs> it really is. It's delicious. It's going to last you a whole week, probably, if you make it right. As well than McDonald's, which, you know, back in the day, they had the dollar menu. I don't even think they got that anymore. I haven't been to McDonald's in so long, but it's going to cost you eight, nine dollars to get a full meal out of McDonald's now. As opposed to years ago when they had the dollar cheeseburger and things like that, you could do that. But why not take that eight or nine dollars cooking for the whole week? A friend of mine, Chef Charity Morgan, she always had a great idea as far as like how to cook the same thing for the week but how to still change it up. So she would cook, let's say rice and beans, rice and lentils, vegetables to go along with it. But you make four different sauces for the week. Now you just changed up the whole flavor palette of that whole meal. So every time you make that meal, it's a different meal now because the flavor changed on you. So there's so many ways around it that doesn't require you being a, a, a top chef or you having tons of money. Absolutely. And you have some really great recipes in your book as well. And as you said, you don't have to spend much money. You don't have to spend much time in the kitchen either with some simple hacks and tricks. You can pre-cook for the whole week or a few days, change it up. You just said different sauces, throw in a few fresh, raw, maybe even veggies on the side. You have your whole protein with the complete protein with the beans and the rice and then Throw in some greens on top of that. Your body, every cell in your body is going to thank you for that. So, (laughs) yeah. So the one thing about also extending the invitation to try out veganism, to go maybe a little bit more plant-based for starters, for people who don't make an immediate 100% change. But that's one thing. And so when people have a bigger reach so someone like yourself who's been involved in both sports and activism what advice would you give to say athletes who want to use their platform to make a positive impact on social issues i think the best way to use your impact whether it's social media or actually in person is to actually be the example of what you're trying to portray too many times we, and I, and I appreciate this. Some people might forward my page to somebody and they're like, to me, to them, I'm a mythical creature. 
they don't know my history they don't know my story they might think i cheated whatever the case is i've never taken steroids or anything like that i'm just putting it out there but they don't know that john i'm curious one thing about extending this invitation to others to go vegan or at least go a little more plant-based try out new things so for people who have a bigger platform someone such as yourself you've been in activism and also in sports for many years what advice would you give to athletes who want to use their platform to just generate a positive impact around for social issues i would say one whether it's social media or in person is just you have to be the example of what you're trying to portray many times we and again like i say i appreciate everybody that forwards my page to somebody but again i'm a mythical creature to them they don't know my background they don't know my history they don't know my story but they know you they follow you they live with you they live around you whatever the case may be so if you're the happiest healthiest most thriving version of vegan that they've ever seen that's right there is what makes people change that's what's going to get somebody to say you know what man i have known susan for 30 years but man she's been vegan for a year and man she is just killing it right now i need to be down with that so whether you're an athlete or not an athlete And I also say this too. I know it's tough for a lot of people, but one thing you have to do. My good friend Dom's Thompson always taught me this. He said, "Take your page off private," because one of the biggest things that we do is that when you're trying to portray this message to everyone, if your page is on private, you're only telling the certain amount of people that are in that close circle. You never know who might trickle into your page by a hashtag or. just by doing a search for a certain food or a search for for a certain topic that you're doing and they stumble along your page if your page is private they might not ever see that so you're actually limiting who you can reach by that i know as some people think that having a private page is the safest way to go but newsflash tiktok instagram and all these people they have over millions of employees your page is being seen by people that you don't know so you might as well take it off private and then allow that work that you're doing to be seen by those that are looking for it. Mm. And again, just be the happiest, healthiest, most thriving version of yourself that you can be. That's the biggest like the book says, that's the biggest fuck you to the system you could have. And that's the biggest thing that people want to be around. As as miserable as somebody may be, love will always bring them out of that. and happiness will always bring them the mind that so if they see that they want to be around that and they'll definitely involve themselves in that i believe that to lead by living example and on your website badassvegan.com you offer resources for people who want to transition to a plant-based lifestyle can you share some of the common challenges and misconceptions that many people face when they're making the transition and how to address them Yeah, it's funny. I've seen everything from your sexual performance will decrease, which scientifically proven that's definitely not the case. I've seen that socially you won't have a life. It's no, you if you choose to stay in the house, then of course, your social life is going to change. But I do say this all the time is that if you are looking to help people to change their lives, you can't become reclusive and not be around anybody. again being a happy healthy most thriving person that they've ever been around is what's going to help them change if you all of a sudden become a a hobbit and you never unlock your door and you never leave the the house then of course you're not going to 
have the friends that you had before, but in order to help them to see that this can be done, it helps to see that you go to a non-vegan restaurant and you still order the vegan options. They're like, wow, look at the willpower this person has. It helps that you're vegan and you're still going to the gym. They're like, man, they're still in shape. They're still doing everything. It helps that you go, you make the decision to not cause harm on anybody else. One of the I did an interview with CNN and the the interviewer actually asked me a question. We didn't rehearse it or anything, but he said, let's say you were on death row, something you didn't do, of course, but you're on death row and it's your last meal. What would you eat? I said, I make these amazing, badass vegan nachos that are just, they're killer. And he's, wait a minute. You mean to tell me it's your last meal and you wouldn't pick like a grade A filet mignon steak cooked to the brim? And I, without hesitation, I said, well, just because I'm about to die, why would I want anything else to die with me? And he looked at me and he was like, wow, I've never thought of it that way. And that's just it. Is you're just making the effort to change that up. Now, mind you, I could be reclusive in my house. I never would have had that interview because I'm like, oh, I'm not going on here because they're not, it's not all vegan what we do and or what they do. And I don't want to be involved in that. But you have to go outside in order. And you also have to lead by a, a sense of, not sympathy, but empathy. Remember, most likely you weren't vegan your whole life either. I was a butcher at one point in my life. So that helps me to really see, oh man, I really can't judge this person. Do I want the whole word vegan? Of course I do. But I also have to be with a sense of empathy. Okay, I was there where they're at. What helped me change? What helped me change was this and this. And if I share that with them, it may not change right then, but it may change later because one of our biggest problems, and this goes to like the resources I talk about, one of our biggest problems as vegans is that we think that we have to be the ones to change the person we're talking to right now. And we don't understand that this is a process. It's a team effort. You might be the one that put the idea in their head. Another friend of mine might be the one to water that seed that you planted in their head. It might be my job to cultivate that seed and to make sure that they stay on path. Hey, I just want to reiterate, did you ever hear about this and this? And then it might be somebody else that actually may pull that plant out and make sure that it flourishes and grows and, and, and another plant can grow in its place. So it's a group effort. And I think once we get out of the aspect of we have to be the ones to make them change and let go of the ego and realize that like it's a team effort and everybody contributes to helping them make that change. And then I think that's one of the ways that it'll work. And as far as the resources go, everything from Google can be your best friend, but watch where you Google at. I always say that. Yeah, every page, just because somebody has a website doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. And just because they have a blue check mark doesn't mean that they're, especially today now, a blue check mark didn't mean what it meant back in the day anyway. So now everybody can have a check mark. So you can't just go off the check marks. And it's just about being okay with doing more research than just one step research. Sometimes you gotta look at three or four pages. Sometimes you gotta look at three or four websites, three or four social media posts. Look at everything. Don't just go off, like I said before, just because you're one religion, read all the religions. See what compares, see what goes across. If you're going into one kind of lifestyle of eating, read all the different lifestyles of eating so that you can see, oh, this is why they think that this is bad. Look, oh, at the end of the day, veganism is great for us but also learn about the other things that are going on. I could not agree more. Look at the issue from all kinds of different angles. 
learn from all kinds of different people and also go a little bit outside of your comfort zone, venture with your mind into areas where you may have not ventured into before, expose yourselves to ways of thinking, ways of life. That doesn't mean you got to take them on, but learn about yeah. what else is out there. You have a quote mm. on your website, I believe in fitness in its entirety, but you also said the body is not the only thing that is important to great health. The individual has to be mentally prepared also to yes. maintain a healthy lifestyle. So how do you mentally prepare? What kind of a mindset do you need to have? Again, it starts with the self-love. When you get to the point of self-love, you won't put certain things in your body. Because you love yourself so much, you're like, why would I put this dead animal, this dead corpse? If you really call it what it is, we stop using the the narrative that the industry uses a burger or a nugget or whatever it is. You start looking at what it is, it's, it's a dying, rotting corpse. As a butcher for quite some time, I have seen my share of rotting bodies that I've sold to people. So I'm like, okay, why would I do that to myself? I don't understand. If I love myself, I wouldn't do that. So it all starts with that self-love. Once the self-love happens, your whole mentality shifts. I won't put myself in a certain situation because I love myself and I know it's going to harm myself. I won't put the certain things inside my body because I know that I love myself and this is going to harm myself. I won't even put certain people that I love in a situation because my self-love, I see myself in them. So I won't do that to them. And it all starts with self-love. And then your mentality shifts completely once the self-love is put in place. Mm -hmm. Indeed, it does. And John, there is a question I like to ask every one of my guests. And self-love, of course, is the greatest practice of all in a sense. Uh, are there some other practices, maybe something you've newly discovered or something you've been practicing for a long time that has elevated your human experience? Oh, man, this is going to sound funny to some people, but I am okay with talking to myself. I am okay with not beating myself up for a past mistake, but acknowledging the past mistake and being like, hey, John, we can do better than that. Let's go. We can do this. Like talking to myself and amping myself up, not negating a past mistake, but taking that past mistake and turning that loss into a lesson. I think a lot of times we see something we did wrong and we're like, oh, man, that was a loss. And we dwell on it for a day, a week, a year, like 10 years. But instead of looking at, hey, what did we learn from that? And having those conversations with myself has greatly enhanced my life. And, and it goes back to self-love, I guess you could say as well. But being OK with talking to yourself. Now, I'm not saying you got to have a full dialogue with yourself, but being OK with talking to yourself. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you for sharing that, John. So people who want to reach out to you, learn more, find you, connect, and how can they do that? I'm pretty much on every social platform from TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. I'm also on, a, there's a vegan app called A Billion. I'm on that. You can reach out there. Pinterest, everything. And I'm a badass vegan. You can also email me. My email address is john at badassvegan.com. I answer all my emails personally, so I don't have an assistant. If, I, if it takes me a while to get to you, understand I'm very busy, but I will work to get back to you as soon as I can. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing from your life. And thank you for everything you're putting out there. You're doing really important work and enriching a lot of people's and human animals and non-human animals' lives. So thank you for that. Really great to connect with you, John. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. For those of you who want to do a deeper dive and start optimizing mentally, physically, and spiritually, head over to my newsletter to superhumanize.com slash newsletter and sign up. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.